Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support this show uh, by mailing in a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And uh, you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters. Now we have uh, more than 250 over at patreon.greatdetectives.net. And again, that's just for as little as $2 per month. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. Uh, The original air date on this one is January the 20th of 1952, and the title is The Gigantic Hoax. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. You may remember the story as it appeared in your newspaper. Two eminent weapons designers missing, the headline shouted. And under it, plans for new anti-tank guns taken out of secret file. You'll recall the rest of the story. It expressed the belief that the two men, Alan Duval and Henry Blackmore, had taken the weapons designed they had created and left the country. The implication that they may have sold out to the enemy was there, plain and ugly. The government got the story long before you did. And on a recent trip to Washington, I obtained the story from them. In it, I play the part of secret agent Ian McKay. It is the file case entitled The Gigantic Hoax, in which only the names and places are fictional. A few days after the plans for the anti-tank gun were reported missing, I was called into the Washington office. I found my chief in conference with an attractive brunette. Oh, come in, Ian. This is Joval. This is Ian McKay. How do you do? Nobody believes me. They say, sure, 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 but their eyes, their eyes say different. Uh, you mustn't excite yourself, Mrs. Joval. We'll try to help you. Oh, but I must get excited. My husband is perhaps dead, and he is accused of all of these terrible things against the government, and I am not to be excited. According to Mrs. Duval, the two men were lured on a ruse to Canada and from there kidnapped. Did I get that straight? Yes, and there's no trace of the man who was supposed to have called on the Duvals at their home. Supposed to have. You still don't believe me, do you? I tell you, I was there when they came. One man in a colonel's uniform, the other in a captain's. Did anyone else see them come into your house, a friend or a neighbor? No, no, it was nighttime. He made me promise not to tell anyone he was being called to an arms conference in Europe. He didn't tell you where in Europe? No, but I can find him if you let me go. As an American citizen, Mrs. Duval, you can go anywhere you please. Excluding certain territories, of course. But it must be done now. I cannot wait for visas and papers. You feel sure you can find them? Mrs. Joval fought with the underground during the war, and she feels that they will help her. 
I was under the impression that the underground had gone underground. They will help me. I have friends there. They say he has sold his invention to a foreign power. He would rather die for... Uh, I'll tell you what, madam. Why don't you let us talk it over? When we reach some conclusion, I may get in touch with you. That is what they have all told me. The same words, the same tone of voice. Uh, we'll call you, you may be sure. Oh, yes. Yes, you will call me to tell me his body has been found. Good afternoon, gentlemen. An intense little woman, isn't she? Yeah, a little too much so, I'm afraid. You must mean something by that. Go ahead. Well, it's it's hard to put into words. It's um it's like she shouts you down every time you have a rational question to ask. Yeah. What do you think about this kidnapping theory? Well, on paper it doesn't look too good. Two men, Duval and Blackmore, invent a new high speed anti tank gun. They take it to the National Council of Inventors and are assigned to a munition plant by the Army to put the thing into production. They were both screened by security. Well, that doesn't mean too much sometimes. They complete the initial layout and take two weeks off to go on a fishing trip. Two weeks pass, three weeks, and they don't show up. The Army comes down on an inspection trip and the plans are gone, taken out of the secret file. Yeah, it doesn't look too good. The boys in the <laughs> Pentagon are really screaming about this one. What do you want to start? Me? Is this my baby? <laughs> I'm afraid it is. And don't overlook the kidnapping angle entirely. It's possible, you know. Mm. And the two phony military men, the colonel and the captain, am I supposed to swallow that? No, but leave room for it. It could happen. Well, it's all yours, Ian. Where do you want to start from? A corner drugstore with a handful of aspirins. I flew to Montreal and from there took the train to Pointe-du-Bois a little fishing village in the Laurentians where Duval and Blackmore had said they were going fishing. The place was deserted except for an old caretaker who told me in grunts that nobody had been there yet this season. Back to Montreal, I went. I got a room at a hotel and after a quick shower and change, drove out to the airport. Duval and Blackmore had definitely gotten this far. I presented my credentials to the night supervisor. He was duly impressed, but sloughed me off to the clerk in charge of tickets and registrations. You Ed Jackson? Yeah? Your supervisor sent this note down to you. Let's see. Give him any information he wants. Say you must be big stuff, huh? Uh, Take a look at these two photographs. I'm looking for these men. Landed here on May 23rd. That's more than a month ago. No, sir, those pictures don't do a thing to me. They came in on the afternoon flight from Buffalo, New York. I thought maybe they took another flight out. Well, it's a tedious job, but why don't you look over the passenger list and all that going flights? You might find them there. Where do I start? Here, in this book. <laughs> this will bore you, silly, but then it's your job. Go ahead. Now, if I can avoid any distractions... Like my yakking all the time? Okay, okay. Wallow in your own gloom for all I care. I wallowed for two and a half hours and found nothing. I even tried to figure it out by the seating arrangements, figuring that the two of them were occupying adjoining seats. Here, I brought you some coffee. Oh, thanks. Any luck? You're some kind of a cop, aren't you? Hmm. Some kind of one, yeah. What makes you think they flew out of Montreal? Well, it seemed logical till now. I'll have to try something else. Hey, if these guys were on the scram, why would they use their own names? I mean, it'd be nothing to buy a couple of tickets under phony names. And that opens up another field of speculation. If they were bound for Europe, I could concentrate on that section. Shouldn't be too hard to run down that list. And if something looks good to you, you can check with the Trans-Canada stewardess in that flight. My boy, 
You know what you've just done? Me? What? You've tied another knot in the binding friendship of the United States and Canada. I took the list of London-bound passengers for the week following May 23rd. That gave me 114 names to check. 67 of these were women and children. That left 47 possible suspects. In four days, I had checked on all but three passengers. These three men had given a Montreal hotel as their address. When I checked with the hotel, they told me they had no such guests. I went back to the airport and checked the list again. The three men whose identity I was looking for had all traveled to London on the same flight. Montreal to Gander, to Glasgow, to London. I waited till the same stewardess who had sparked the flight I was interested in came on duty. Well, hello. Are you the gentleman who's been waiting to see me? Yes, yes. I'm with the federal government of the United States. You carried three passengers on May 24th to London. According to your records, they occupied seats 17, 18, and 19. May the 24th? That's a long time ago. Here are two photographs of the men I'm looking for. They mean anything to you? Well, they sure do. Especially this one, Mr. Lafleur. You're positive? May the 24th, a national holiday in Canada. We were traveling very light. Six or seven passengers, that's all. I spent most of the trip with Mr. Lafleur. You know the way these things are. And this man? Now, I'm not so sure of him, but I know the three of them were together. Nobody met them at the airport? Well, not that I know of. But you'll positively identify this one man as a passenger on your flight. But very positively. Well, thanks. I guess that's all for now. Anytime I can help you. Anytime at all. Before I left, she gave me sketchy descriptions of the other two men. I went back to the clerk at the ticket counter and he found a receipt for three tickets from Montreal to London which had been picked up by a man named Lafleur. I had photostatic copies made of the receipt and mailed one of these and a general description of the man to counterintelligence in Ottawa. It was pretty meager information to try and run a make on, but everything's worth a try in this business. I flew back to Washington, and when the chief came into his office, I was waiting for him. Well, hello, Ian. You back from the war so soon? No, just a little recess. You got something, McKay? Our two gunsmiths in company with another man took a flight out from Montreal to London. The names they used were Lafleur, Pelletier, and Jordan. Phony names, phony passports. Yeah. That doesn't do too much for the kidnapping theory, does it? Not unless the men honestly believed it was legitimate. They may have accepted the phony passports as merely being good security precautions. Yeah. Now what? A trip to Europe. Paris to start with. Then wherever this thing takes me. Why Paris? Well, that's where the passports indicated they were going. I'll contact Tim Anderson when I get there. All right. I'll have everything ready for you in a few hours. Oh, one more thing, Chief. Uh, fix it so Mrs. Duval can leave right away, will you? Well, I thought you didn't want her to She needs watching. And I'd like her around where I can keep an eye on her. <laughs> you don't think too much of her, do you? Well... Just say that I'm cautiously impartial. I went back to Montreal and spent a couple of days trying to track down something on the man who called himself Lafleur. If he had engineered the deal with the phony passports and the rest of it, he was the man to know. I learned nothing by the time I was ready to make the big hop over the Atlantic. I got to the airport half an hour early. I stopped to see if the valuable little ticket clerk was still in good form. Well, look who's here. The cop with culture. You're beginning to hunt this place. Well, I won't be here long. Taking the next flight to Gander, Newfoundland. 
in Glasgow, London, and Paris. Who says a policeman's lot is not a happy one? Huh. Hey, you want to know something? It's not the one about the two Frenchmen, is no, it? No, no, this is on the level. <laughs> it's about those guys you were looking for. Go on. Somebody else was in showing those pictures around. A woman with a French accent. Brown hair, brown eyes. Uh, yeah, I got a name, too. Said she was Mrs. Uh... Duval. Hey, how'd you know all this? I didn't. Just wishful thinking, I guess. The ride was uneventful, though a little bumpy over Newfoundland. Tim Anderson, one of our agents attached to the embassy in Paris, was waiting for me with a car when I landed at the airport there. I'd wired him from London to meet me. Hiya. Got a phone call from Washington. I think they got something on Mr. Lefleur. Good. Let's have it. Ottawa checked the writing on the receipt with a Mr. Amon Edinger, who had had some trouble with him. I'm sure it's one of the same. Deported from Canada in 1947 for illegal entry. 47, eh? But they've got no record of him ever being back in Canada since then. Got anything on him over here? Yeah, plenty. Assuming that he is, Monsieur Edinger, he was with the Maquis, the French underground during the war. Yeah. He was exposed as a collaborationist and left the country. That must have been his uh, Canadian episode. Anything current on him? Uh, lots, including an address. Having his place watched now. He's been away for a while, but when he gets back, we'll know it. Good. Well, take me there. No one there at all. No. What are you going to do? I'm going to show you how to open a lock and burglarize an apartment. Scientifically. Is this it? Yep. Number 12. Stand back. I'll need a little light. so hot. Wait a minute. I think I've got it. Yeah, that does it. Ah, nice place. The guy spent dough. Where do we start looking? Anywhere. I'll take the desk. You try the bookshelves. All right. Now, now tell me what I'm looking for, will you? Pieces of paper with writing on it, for one thing. I want to check with his signature on this airline receipt. Make sure he's the right man. Well, there's no doubt of that, is there? We'll double-check. It's a book with his name on the fly sheet. I'm on Edinger. Let's see it. Good, 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 good. It checks. This guy's a fiend for snapshots, all neatly dated and cataloged here. Well, let's see some of the latest ones. Oh, he's some dated April 7th, 1951. That's not so long ago. No, this one in front of the railway station. Wish he'd photographed the name of the building. What for? Well, if we get to a place he's been, he might be there again. Kind of a forlorn hope, isn't it? You see anything unusual about this station? If we could find some way to identify it, we could... Oh, well, uh, how, how about the flowers in that window box? Not too many stations are prettied up like that. Well, that's something. And that uh, Caragana bush right alongside of it. Yeah? About four feet high and two, three feet away from the corner of the building. Yeah, there's a gleam in your eye. <laughs> it's an anticipation of the swell job you're going to do in the next couple of days. Oh, Okay, get it over with. You're going to find me a little railway station in France that looks just like this. I put up at the Soir Hotel and had begun a few inquiries of my own. I learned that Ettinger had only recently contacted a liaison man with the French Ministry of War with an offer to turn over something of military importance at a price. He had contacted two other foreign government officials with the same proposition. One of them had been definitely interested, I learned. 
We set watch on this man, hoping Ettinger would show up. That night, I was getting ready for bed when there was a knock on the door. Coming! Uh, monsieur, pardon, I am sorry to disturb you, but this could not wait. Come in, Alfred. Has uh, Ettinger showed up? No, no, monsieur. You, uh, had you tell me to watch the Madame Duval? She's like the eel, monsieur. Ah. I'm with her one minute, the next she's gone. But I have overcome this. I have locked her up in the gendarmerie. Well, what did she do? I see her talking to some man. I'm still looking at her, and she is gone. Voila. Then I go to see my partner. And we see a light coming from one of Ettinger's window. We go up. It is she. She is searching the room. Well, she's no good to us in jail. Let's get her out of there, quick. Uh, oh, mais, 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 pa- pardon, monsieur. But what is it, Alfred? It is customary, even in Paris, when one goes out, one puts on his trouser, monsieur. <laughs> it was an angry Mrs. Duval who paced the floor of the visitor's room of the prison. She didn't even stop when she heard the door open and close behind me. Mrs. Duval? Oh, it is you. Can you get me out of this horrible place? Burglary is a criminal offense in any country. Oh, but I must get out. My husband, I cannot find him if I am in here. And what makes you think he's in France? Oh, I know he is. Get me out, please, monsieur. You haven't answered my question. How do you know he's in France? Well, I... I had not told you the whole truth in Washington. Try it now. This uh, captain who came to see my husband with the colonel... Hmm. I told you he was French, but I did not tell you that I knew the man. I saw him from a distance only, and it, it seemed impossible. But then, when all this happened, I knew it was Ettinger. Armand Ettinger? Oui. During the war, I was with the Marquis, the French underground. He was, too, before he turned collaborator. Well, why didn't you tell us? Oh, I was afraid. Should they learn that you might find them, they would kill the two men and escape. And you thought you'd take them single-handed, eh? I have many friends who would have helped me in their own way. Monsieur, please, you tell them to get me out of here. All right. I'll see what I can do. With many gestures and very little French, I managed to get Mrs. Duval released. When I got home, I found Tim waiting for me. I find your little railway station. Good, good. It's in Brittany, a little town called Le Matin. Ah. Only a dozen houses there and a, a church and a store. You, you'll find no arch criminals, eh? Well, you're probably right. But we're going to try. Le Matin was a full day's journey out of Paris. We rented a rickety old Fiat and made all the necessary preparations for our trip. While the car was being greased, I called on Mrs. Duval. Better I should have stayed in jail. Then I would know I could do nothing to help. This way... What could you do, Mrs. Duval? I don't know, but I could be active. You don't know this Ettinger the way I do. Monsieur, I have the hope of finding him one place. If I tell you, you will let me come along? I can't expose you to the possible consequences. What about the consequences of a murdered husband? Can you leave me with that? Don't you understand? If I could find... Tell me where this place is. I'll not promise, though. Le Matin. A little town in Brittany. What do you know about Le Matin? Ettinger, he goes there often. He has friends in a chateau in the hills nearby. They may be there now. And, oh, 
I must stay helpless here in a hotel room. If you knew this last night, why did you break into Ettinger's room? I did not know this last night. They came this morning, these friends of mine. They told me about Le Matin. Will you go there, please? Yes. In about half an hour. And me. Me. I go with you. All right, Mrs. DeVille. You go with took everything that car had to get us to Le Matin early that evening. It was only nine o'clock and already the little village was bedded down for the night. We stopped in front of a small bakery shop. There's a light in the back of this store. Will you try there? Yes. Don't ask directly. Try and find out who's living in the chateau. I will. I understand. What do you make of her, Ian? I don't know. Three quarters of the time, I think she's on the level. The other quarter... Why'd you bring her along? Eh, thought I'd feel better knowing she was here with me. You have some reservations about her? Mm, I'm afraid so. I'll be tickled pink to be wrong, though. Kind of like to think that anybody who migrates to America gets to be an American. Quick. Mm, I know what you mean. Well... A Monsieur Rigon bought the chateau last year. He has a business in the city and only comes out here occasionally. What about Ettinger? She would not say for sure. Monsieur Rigon has much company. Does she know him? No. No, he does not have anything to do with the village. Oh, here we are again. Nowhere. Well, uh, shall I try another place? The church, perhaps? The father, he might know him. No, no. Get in, Mrs. Duval. Where to? The Chateau Rigon. We're going to get in? Two lost Americans looking for shelter. What's a chateau to an American anyway? Oh, that is no good. You will be suspect immediately. Let me go in. Then you two come in later. You'll sit in the car and wait. Nothing more. Understand? All men, they are stupid. Some men, disastrously so. bumped along an old dirt road till we came to a huge set of wrought iron gates. It was the chateau. Oh, oh are we going to get in? Right in. Light shining, horn honking. Then they'll know for sure we're American. Oh, I would not do it that way, please. Yeah, we're in luck and the gate's open. When we pull up to the house, you get down in the back seat and stay there until we come out or call you. Don't move. Ian, there were some men back there by the gate. Bunch of them. The Mackey? What did you say? Um, nothing. I don't like this. Look, Ian, we better go back. We can't turn back now. There's the house. It's a little too quiet to suit me. Well, come on, come on. Let's let's try the door. You stay there, Mrs. Duval. Don't move. Mrs. Duval, she's running out on us. Mrs. Duval, come back here. Shall I go after her? No. No, she's out foxed us. Well, here goes. No answer. There's a light burning upstairs. Something screwy here. Try the door. 
They could use a few light bulbs in this hallway. Shall we go any further? Yes, let's... No, gentlemen. Let's not. What? Stay where you are, gentlemen. Tell your friend that I have a gun in your back. Tell him? Well, seems like he has, Tim. Now, put your hands well over your heads. That's right. What? Only one gun, Mr. McKay. I'm afraid I do not know your friend's name. There. That removes the sting, gentlemen. Now, if you'll just move ahead of me. We'll go someplace where we can talk. This way, please. This is an occasion, gentlemen. We'll use the baronial library. Sit down, please. Facing me. Over there. That's better. Now, if you'll both place your hands on that table and keep them there. Comfortable, Mr. Mickey? You have the advantage over me. I don't know your name. Come, come. How unsubtle. Of course, I am Armand Editor. You would not have come here if you had not known what I looked like. You were expecting us? I was rather hoping that you would not find your way here, gentlemen. But I'm quite prepared. As you have no doubt noticed. We're looking for two American citizens, Henry Blackmore and Alan Duval. A very pretty speech. Almost calls for a fanfare. Nevertheless, Mr. Ettinger, we are... They are here. Your two American friends. In this house? Alive. And in this house. And it's quite up to you whether they leave this house in the same condition. The man has a prepared speech. Why doesn't he make it? You have a point there, Tim. I forgot how direct you Americans are. Very well. I shall state my case. The two gentlemen have with them a set of blueprints which only they can explain satisfactorily. It seems they have committed some intricate details to memory. They refuse to remember. Good for them. On the contrary, our patience is at an end. We were quite determined to put an end to this whole thing till you came along. Now, where do we come in? I have a feeling that Mr. Duval might be impressed if you ask him to divulge the necessary information, I'm sure that you can impress upon him... I the... don't get it, Ian. This, this Duval, the, the way we were crossed by... Quiet. What was that? Nothing. Go ahead. We have gone to much trouble arranging for them to be here. And expense, a great deal of expense. Well? Persuade him to talk, and you all live. Don't, you all die. The four of you. Um, give me some time to think it over. I'm afraid not. My associates should be here any moment. They are determined that events shall happen quickly tonight. I might almost say immediately. One burning question. How did you know my name and the fact that I was here? Come, come, Mr. American. You don't seriously think I would answer that. Suffice it to say, we have avenues of information... Well, gentlemen, there come my friends. Your answer, please. That does not sound like them. Something has happened. Come on, key. My husband, where is he? Stay back. He's here, Mrs. Duval. Alive. Stay back, I say. Don't come closer. I will kill you. Mrs. Duval, stop them. Mrs. Duval, why did you... I could not stop him, monsieur. They are the Marquis. The crime for which he has paid was not committed against the United States or my husband. 
but against France over six years ago. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. You saw the first headlines in the paper. The one that said, Two eminent arms designers missing. And after this report is filed, you'll read these headlines. Missing weapon designers rescued. And in smaller type, Heroic woman aids federal agents in capture. Then the story will go on to give as many details as the department thinks is advisable. And so closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we'll tell you a story involving espionage and murder in the file case entitled The Enemy, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Knight's case was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in tonight's cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Bill Conrad, Lamont Johnson, Ted Osborne, and Charles Davis. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. You are tuned to your favorite station of the NBC radio network, where you'll always find the very finest radio entertainment. Day and night, every day of the year, during every waking hour, NBC presents music, drama, comedy, mystery, sports, the latest news and programs of public service. You have made this your favorite NBC station because of the wide variety of great programs always available at the turn of the dial. We at NBC will continue to send you the finest radio entertainment and furnish you with the most up-to-date news from all of the news centers of the world. NBC, the national broadcasting company is now in its second quarter century of broadcasting in the public service. Always tune where you hear the familiar NBC chimes. They're your invitation to fine radio entertainment. Welcome back. I loved Mrs. Duvall, a play, I believe, by Betty Lou Gerson, and her line that all men are stupid, some men disastrously so. I wonder how many t-shirts I could sell with that on it. But I think particularly at the end, things would have gone a lot smoother for them if they had listened to her. And it is an interesting episode where it turns out that our hero's hunch is uh, wrong and uh, he needs assisted from uh, being killed. I don't know whether it was a gender thing or if it was just a, you know, civilian thing. But particularly 
uh, towards the end, uh, they would have done better to listen to her. Because she uh, might be a civilian, but uh, with that experience in that underground and those sources in the country, uh, that really uh, was valuable and was the key to solving the case. Uh, the investigation part uh, leading up to it and how they got over there, I, I thought was also uh, pretty good. It... Uh, it followed kind of the Dragnet uh, playbook of making uh, tedium interesting, you know, going through all of those uh, passenger lists and all of that process because this is the sort of thing that the actual federal investigators went to. So it gives it a element of realism rather than just being boring. Well, we're going to change things up a little bit here, and I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day, and I want to go ahead and thank Ray, Patreon supporter since July of 2020, currently supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Ray. Now, we do have a listener question, and I'm going to address it. It's a personal question, and for some listeners, it might be a sensitive one. And if you would rather skip it, that's fine. Um, we'll be back tomorrow, Public Domain Video Theater. And then uh, next Monday, Casey Crown Photographer. And then next Saturday, we'll be back with another episode of The Silent Men. But now, a listener comment or feedback. And I got a message on Twitter. Richard uh, wrote me over on Twitter. I just started your book, Slime Incorporated on Audible. I remember a while you mentioned uh, you were going to adopt. Uh, did you do that yet? Uh, I'm adopted, so it really moved my heart when you said you were uh, going to. Well, thank you so much for the question, Richard. I haven't talked about it specifically uh, in uh, quite a while. We started the whole process about five years ago. We attended a seminar, and then we went through a process to prove by, for a home study by our local adoption agency. And that process took quite a bit longer than typical, about a year and a half uh, to get the home study process completed. And then we ended up in their system for domestic infant adoption. And if, uh, if you've not been involved in the process in recent years or, you know, kind of base the view of that whole process from the perspective of, like, old books or movies, uh, it's a very uh, involved process. Most of the uh, adoptions when it comes to infants are done as open adoptions. And even if they aren't, uh, the mother really in these uh, sort of situations is in the driver's seat when she makes this decision to make a plan for the future of her child. And if you're an adoptive family, you create a profile book and uh, you can are notified of a potential situation uh, where a mother has a child to adopt, and then you're asked whether you want your book shown or not. And so that was the process we went through uh, several times um, over the course of, you know, a year and a half. And essentially, once that's done, the mother then gets to go ahead and uh, decide uh, who she wants. Uh, she will generally do uh, an interview 
uh, with the potential adoptive parents to ask them questions. And generally from all of the applications uh, and books that she receives, she'll generally only interview one to three. Uh, generally the books give them a really good idea of who they're looking for. And over the course of a year and a half, uh, we did not actually get called back. So we took uh, a different path. After a lot of thought and prayer, we opted for the embryo adoption for a number of reasons. And with embryo adoption, that's where after an IVF process, there are embryos remaining, and the parents decide to place the remaining embryos for adoption so that they'll have a chance at life and also to give that gift of being parents to someone that they'll uh, trust. And it is a similar uh, process. The natural parents review books and they will uh, pick someone who will be a match. And we have been matched and we have adopted and the embryos have been transferred to our local clinic. And from there, the embryos will be transferred to Andrea in a procedure known as frozen embryo transfer. We had our first transfer in February. Unfortunately, we lost the baby and that was very hard. But we are looking for another transfer this summer. So that's where we're at. And I thought it was appropriate to update everyone since I'd mentioned it in the past. And I hope my brief sort of thumbnail explanation of how these processes work was at the very least uh, educational. I, I know that when I first, you know, got into this, uh, you know, four and a half, uh, going on five years ago, I did not really, you know, understand any of uh, this in terms of, you know, what the overall process looked like. It's clear a lot of other people don't. Uh, I uh, uh, was watching a sitcom, a uh, modern sitcom, and uh, it had a couple going from uh, application to adoption in like a month. Uh, that's not really typical. And the one thing that really has impressed me throughout the entire process is just how much love and thought is, goes into this from natural families across the board. So thank you so much for listening. That'll do it for today. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.